Welcome to Zeitgeist with Zach Geist. I'm your host, Zach Geist. This show is made possible by Student Loan Tutor, which you can find at studentloantutor.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment and give us a review. Thank you. So I wanted to chime in at the beginning of this to say that this isn't a podcast just about menstruation. This podcast ends up going in all sorts of different directions and would be amazing for both men, women, and even children to listen to. Uh, It talks about the relationship between women's cycles, their sensitivity, their relationships with the earth, and men's relationship with the earth as a feminine being where in fact it is both feminine and masculine. It goes in all sorts of metaphysical directions with a lot of new insights that came into existence through us during this dialogue. I hope you enjoy and I hope you're patient with this podcast. Welcome to Zeitgeist with Zeitgeist. I'm here with Cree and Madeline. And uh, I think Cree wanted to call in the spirit or a spirit or a container to be formed around this discussion. And this discussion is for both men and women around cycles, cycles of being and cycles of the earth and seasons and the reflection of these cycles in the, the basically the most sensitive human beings, which are right now women and the cycles that they embody. And she works with something called embody your flow. And so before we dive into that, um, I want to just call attention to the proper noun version of zeitgeist. Zeitgeist meaning the spirit of the times. But if you take zeit, the Z of zeit and the G of geist, and capitalize both of them, it becomes the actual spirit of the moment in German. Or in Greek, I guess that would be kairos, the spirit of the the spirit of time, as in the time being right for something. And so maybe we'll take one breath in together to invite in the spirit of the moment of the fourth one of us that are that is present here and uh, will hopefully inspire this conversation and this dialogue amongst each other. So let's just breathe in together. <sighs> Something that I notice is that I feel way more calm than all the other podcasts that I've done. And it might have to do something with it being a little bit warmer than the rest of them have been. And it's still pretty cold in here. It's the coldest October uh, in Utah, like recorded history. It's been in the, t- the 20s outside and we're in a kind of a warehouse type of building. So if we're wearing a jacket, all wearing jackets, that's the reason. So we'll start here with Cree. Who are you? Um, I, I, maybe I'll start is that Cree's a member of our community. I've known Cree for the last almost four years. She's done a lot of body work with me. Uh, helping me become more embodied as as a man, and uh, and so I've heard a lot of this of 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 the work that she does with primarily women in the embody your flow element. But we're all in relationship to women as human beings, women as animals, women as the earth herself, 
and uh, all of the feminine natures of, and there's a masculine nature of, of Mother Earth as well. There's also a Father Earth. So uh, I wanted to uh, have her introduce herself and talk about a little bit about embody your flow and why men and women may be interested in this. Yeah, so my name is Cree. live here in Salt Lake City, um, go by different titles, menstrual maven, Arvigo practitioner, intuitive guide, mentor, facilitator. I've been working facilitating women's circles for about seven years now, and the Embody Your Flow that Zach is speaking to is a course that I created uh, specifically for women. It started out as a one-on-one, -on -one and I was realizing, like, oh, I'm repeating the same information to women over and over and over again. I should do this in a group program. And so I turned it into a group program, and this is the second round. I'm in a live round of it right now. We just finished week two, and it's basically a course around menstruation that is teaching women everything that they should have learned and didn't around bleeding. Um, there's a lot of work done around, like we just did uh, some exploration of first blood stories and inner maiden work, and there's this energy of this reclaiming lost and forgotten parts of ourselves, and it's got a beautiful element of science meets spirituality meets healing and um it's really revolutionary in a lot of ways because ultimately there's so much about the menstrual cycle that is misunderstood we're just barely in a day and age where there's starting to be more and more conversation around it and the fact that it happens but something that I've been tapping into, I have a personal practice of the past four years that I take a moon time retreat where as much as possible, I work for myself. I don't have kids. So this is really possible for me to do. And I also value it in my life. And so I make sure I schedule it. But I retreat for the first two or three days of my cycle. And I'm literally, for the most part, hanging out in my room, laying around, being in this liminal space and really tapping into the art of doing nothing. And that's where a lot of my information around the menstrual cycle has come from. I've also worked with mentors and read a bunch of different books, but what's really helped me to understand it the best is getting it in my body. And I'm a very embodied person. And when I understand something in my body, it's really easy for me to articulate it and express it. And so my approach with the conversation around menstruation is not just speaking to it as oh this is something that happens and we need to acknowledge it here's different period products that you can use that's a beautiful place that we're in and that's a great start but the thing with the menstrual cycle is that it's actually an integrated spiritual journey that women are participating in all of the time and we don't have to do anything to make it happen. It's just happening. And, and it's not just one. T I mean, I'm a man, so obviously I don't think about this as much as women do. Probably not even as much as the woman who thinks about it the least. Well, maybe more than that woman, because Madeline's <laughs> talking about this constantly. I know about luteal <laughs> phases and all sorts of different things. And uh, yeah, so it's not just when the a woman is menstruating that this is important to look at it's the entire cyclical process like an ecstatic dance we you and i all of us madeline's here as well uh, who's my partner uh 
we go through this process of birth and death, which is a cycle through a dance, an embodied dance practice. And you're saying that there's also a cycle, not just I'm on my cycle, meaning this short period of time that you're menstruating. There's an entire like circular cycle that happens through the whole journey of essentially the place where life comes into existence happens within your embodied selves. Yeah, so basically, as long as a woman is in her active bleeding days from menarche, which menarche is when a woman gets her first blood, from menarche to menopause, as long as a woman is actively in those bleeding days, not on hormonal birth control or having some other imbalance that's causing her to not be bleeding, she's somewhere in her menstrual cycle. And it's a cycle at a whole that has four different phases or four different inner seasons that we go through. Menstruation is just one piece of it. So when I speak of the cycle, I'm talking about the whole cyclical experience from day one of the cycle to the last day of the cycle, and then it continually repeats itself. So it's a cyclical thing, but it's also kind of like this spiral because it's continually cycling, Mm. but also spiraling at the same time because there's this continual evolution and growth with it. So it's more like a play than a movie because a play can change because there's live beings in a play, whereas a movie is recorded and it's playing over and over again. So that's where the spiral comes in is kind of what I'm what I'm seeing. I'm also seeing this as an invitation that maybe women have that men it's, it's harder to discover what this is for men, but it, it's a place where women could really find a meditation and increasing their sensitivity by tracking what's happening with this cycle and this spiraling cycle. Yeah, It changes absolutely. month over month. It's different. Mm-hmm. And a big thing that I've really gotten out of it is the importance of slowing down, the importance of resting, the importance of going inward. Because really, I I actually just posed this question last night in my group because we were going through the different phases. And in the menstrual phase, I'm talking about how it's possible to tap into bliss and to union with the divine and to be absorbed completely into oneness. And I asked the woman in my group who's experienced this with their time of bleeding. And everyone was like, not me. And so I was like, I want you guys to know that this is possible. It's one of the most restorative energies that we have available to us. And women are natural givers. We're naturally giving, giving, giving. It's what we do. And so we have this built-in system that when we learn to honor it correctly, it's bringing us into a place of slowing down where we get to be tended to and we get the opportunity to fill our cups. So menstruation itself comes with the opportunity for renewal and vision and insight and clarity to come through in our lives. But when we continually override it and have to keep tending to all of these tasks and these daily duties, we are being robbed of that opportunity and women are being depleted and it's showing up in all sorts of different kinds of imbalances in women's reproductive health. I'd love to speak to that because I've done Cree's work with her before. Um, I did the first uh, embody your flow kind of testing course a few years ago. And this is at a time where I had just had a hormonal IUD removed maybe two years before. So I was finally getting back a regular cycle. Um, I actually had a copper IUD put in, which with the copper IUD, it's not hormonal. So you have a cycle. And uh, at the time, I still had a lot of my kind of foundational beliefs around my bleeding time of what I had since I was a teenager, um, which basically was 
shame and, and a lack of knowledge around what to do around that time, a desire to keep moving, keep doing. Um, and then this kind of uh, almost false belief of PMS, as we call it in our culture, this premenstrual system where we yeah, syndrome, where we it. get, yeah, like yeah. where we get emotional and we're just so like out of the ordinary and women are just bitchy or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And, um, and when I did this course with Cree and she spoke to me about these inner seasons that she was speaking to, it was revolutionary for me. It was like a, an awakening in a way to my secular process and the fact that I do have this summer, spring, winter, fall season that's constantly cycling. And so um, once I realized that and was able to honor it and able to honor that resting time and the importance of honoring that winter season, the winter is more lined up when, when we're bleeding. Uh, the spring is kind of right afterwards. The summer is our um, time when we're the most fertile. And then coming into fall, which would be the kind of PMS time right before the bleeding season. And that's the season we're in right now. And so I think it's really reflective in our environment and how we're we're kind of going more inward and we're getting we're getting warmer and we wanting to introvert and we're wanting to collect that which we've harvested from our summer season, even within that 28 day period, and to bring it into a time of rest and renewal, which is the winter season and when we're bleeding. So um, for me, it was a, a huge shift in maybe I'm not is exactly the same as Cree and able to, you know, go into my room for two days, but just in my own thought process and uh, feeling like I wasn't a irrational emotional woman but it was just part of my body's expression so having the awareness of what's going on might not create the feedback loop of the conditioned like responsive behavior of this idea of pms you know yeah or kind Uh, of impulsiveness because we're forced to kind of keep up with men and keep working and keep doing so instead of honoring and sleeping we might just eat more chips or chocolate or something and then you know just kind of yeah, looking for alternatives mm-hmm. other than resting. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people do that. Being a man, I know I do that. Like, I'm tired, but instead of just taking a rest or going to sleep, I'll try to, you know, drink some yerba mate, or before that it might have been coffee, and before mm-hmm. that it would have been opiates or alcohol or whatever to just mm-hmm. keep going. Like, ultimately, mm-hmm. the, the idea is, is that I'm supposed to keep moving forward no matter what at any cost, and if I can't move forward, then somehow my body's fucked up. And I've got to figure out a way to get my body right so I could move forward and be tougher. And I think that's this wounded masculine principle that's allowed, you know, mankind to survive or humankind to survive for, you know, to where we've gotten today. And it's an outdated response, um, which we continue to plow forward. I know you had talked about, Madeline, one of your favorite quotes, which is Bio Kumalafe's quote, the times mm-hmm. are urgent, slow down, uh, mm-hmm. meaning that if we continue to... Pr- run and move forward from the same mindset that got us into this mess we're going to keep tangled it's like quicksand we're going to stay stuck in it Mm -hmm. and i want to touch as a man listening to all of this because i'm imagining there's men listening to this uh Mm -hmm. this podcast as well it's ironic or maybe not so much so that the previous podcast was about male initiation (laughs) and men's Mm, relationship with money (laughs) and uh and then this one is about something very similar actually but for for women and men and they're mm-hmm. both related. Like if you know men, if you're if you know men, it's important to understand men. If you know women, it's important to understand women. And if you understand these cycles within women, it's like a holographic uh, model of of reality. Like 
the woman's body is is essentially acting out the body of the earth. Uh, and I want to touch on this because I found it just super unusual and bizarre and creepy at times <laughs> in the beginning on, on how, how strange this whole process is. Yeah. So the, the moon cycle, I just thought they called it that. That was new for the whole, uh, uh, the whole you know, kind of ecstatic dance culture. Where I grew mm -hmm. up in the hood, we just called it a girl was on a rag. That's what Aww. they, she, you know, yeah, yeah. So uh, I don't know exactly. I don't, I don't know where that, it doesn't have like the cool uh, etymology of where mm -hmm. that came from. My guess is uh, someone had a rag at some point and needed mm -hmm. to like it's use it for something. It was yeah, what they would use for menstrual yeah. products before they had anything. They yeah. would just use rags. And still in parts of the still. world, they mm -hmm. just use rags or fabric or whatever they mm -hmm. have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember something about in India where they were figuring out some way to find reusable, mm -hmm. uh, Yeah, I don't know whether it was tampons or pads or something like and that pads, that was really yeah. important. But I wanted to touch on the uh, fact that I never knew this when I heard moon cycle that women's periods and their cycle in general will respond to, for example, the moon and mm -hmm. where the moon's at, uh, which at the same time the ocean responds and the tides respond to the moon. And then uh, also at the same time, uh, women will be together for a long period of time. And then all of their cycles, like one of those little uh, perpetual things with a little ball going back and forth, will all start to synchronize at the same at this at, at the exact same time and then some really unusual things that are just almost like you know metaphysically inex inexplainable uh, from our current story of the world is like Madeline you'll be like oh, yeah I'm, I don't want to have my period on the full moon I want to have it on the <laughs> something like that I'll let you talk about yeah. that yeah I mean that was I found that it was very story interrupting of the way that I view the world. Sure. Uh, well, when I first started working with Cree and getting in touch with my cycle, I realized I was bleeding mostly around the new moon, uh, which I think commonly throughout time, uh, women have been known to bleed around the new moon. Cree can confirm that. Um, and so at the time, I was kind of in a deep uh, sort of emotional processing place. Some may call it the Saturn return. Um, in my late 20s and so I was going through a lot and I was very emotional around my cycles and the new moon is a time of darkness it's there's no moon in the sky and so it's time of introversion and processing and so I just told myself internally I'd like to start bleeding with the full moon instead and within three months my cycle switched over so within uh, the next time it started a week earlier the next cycle it started two weeks earlier and then the next I was cycle I was exactly on the full moon and I bled with the full moon for a full year and then about the same time a year later I realized wow I've really gone through a lot and I've really processed a lot now I feel really ready to go deeper and I would like to start bleeding with the new moon this is just about three months ago and uh, I can speak to now that the new moon was on Monday and I started bleeding on Monday. So I'm back to bleeding with the new moon. And so for me, it was not only a realization of how in tune we are with the lunar cycles as well, um, but really how deeply our bodies are listening to us and how much more beyond thought and cognition there is going on deep within our womb space, um, even in our lower bellies for all humans. Does it make you feel more connected with the entire cosmos that this is happening? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I would say, like to what Cree was saying before, that that kind of um, divine, uh, what did you, how did you say it? It's kind of That's joyful just, bliss. Yeah, entering can come. into union with the divine. Yeah, yeah, and I've really um, 
I think I've felt that from Creed the most. And so it's kind of this inspiring to move uh, more towards that. Yeah, and I'd say I've noticed that for myself as well, that not only being more connected to the moon, but as you were saying, so women's bodies are a microcosm of the macrocosm of the earth and what's going on. Mm -hmm. So we are here in Utah. So we get to experience all of the seasons. And so one thing that I teach women is pay attention to how you are in the season. You know, during wintertime, there's this natural desire to retreat and withdraw. The days are really short. So people want to be cozy. They want to curl up with a book and loved ones, hang out by a fire. It's a time to go inward naturally. That's what the earth is inviting us into. The trees and the plants, all of their energy is down towards the roots. Everything that's happening is happening beneath the surface. Mm. And then as we progress into spring and the cycle starts to shift, the cycles of the earth start to shift. That's the springtime of the cycle or the follicular phase of the cycle for women. And you can feel this upsurge of energy as all of this energy is coming from the the roots of the trees where the earth got this energy of renewal and rest. Mm -hmm. It's ready to then allow this upsurge of energy and start to bud and then the leaves grow and there's just this really outwardly expressive energy but it slowly grows grows and builds over time. And then when you enter into summer, that's the ovulatory phase of the cycle, things are full on. The days are the longest. There's so much activity going on. People want to be outside and they're traveling and they're spending time with family and getting out into nature, all of these different things. Mm -hmm. And just like really receiving all of the fullness that life has to offer. And then we enter into fall and the energy starts to shift. And as we're experiencing here, it was a pretty dramatic drop into the cold. Fast, and it, quickly. it always varies. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we move into fall, which is the luteal phase of the cycle. And that's where the leaves are starting to drop. It's a time to release and let go. We're all feeling that draw into our internal realm because that's naturally what happens. And mm-hmm. so the women's cycle is mirroring that. So as I've taken on this practice of cyclical awareness or menstrual cycle awareness, I've realized how intimately connected I am to the seasons and the menstrual cycle through actively participating in and honoring each phase has actually taught me how to better be in each phase and season. And it has taught me to trust in it mm-hmm. and to not try and like wish that it was summer when it's fall or winter and fight it and resist it. It's taught me to go into it because all of these cycles and seasons have something to teach us. Mm-hmm. And it's for me also brought this. I intimate... always thought it's to get us to, to go to Hawaii for the winter. <laughs> Well, that's the beautiful thing about this earth is we can go somewhere where it is warm during winter. You but could change it from the new moon to the full moon and, vi- and back and, and back, oh. back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like this connection, like it's brought so much more meaning and depth to my life to honor this. And the thing is with the menstrual cycle is it's preparing us for all of the life cycles. If as young girls we started getting these practices at a young age, it would prepare us for pregnancy Mm -hmm. and birth. It would prepare us for the postpartum phase and it's preparing us for menstruation. But in our culture, we're not talking about it. Mm -hmm. It's this like, oh, I'm sorry you're not bleeding or women will take hormonal birth control and they're like, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm so glad I'm not having a period. And I'm like, 
I could not imagine my life without a period and without It's like being constipated or something and Mm -hmm. saying, like, I'm so glad I don't have to go to the bathroom, (laughs) you know. But, you know, it's inconvenient, you know, to go find a bathroom when you're out and about. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, I I, I don't know. It's the closest thing I could relate to. (laughs) Well, speaking to that, uh, I would like to just acknowledge that um, that men do have a, their own cycle in a way Absolutely. and that very oh, we often hear about that. yeah very what often are... relating to uh their the closest female partner or maybe just you know what kind of cycle they're around so maybe we can speak to that yeah there's a few things i can say to that so oftentimes when i tell men that i do this work a common response is we have our cycles too I just don't know what it is. And so one friend, I told him, I was like, well, here's some of the practices that I teach women. You can use it and see if there's any sort of rhythm to it. And I asked him and he was like, you know, I didn't really notice much. I was Mm. like, okay. So men definitely have their cycles. I don't know exactly what they are. I don't know that there's been enough studies on them. There's hardly enough studies done on women's cycles. Mm. But one thing I have noticed in my partnership, it's almost like my partner is cycling with me. So when I drop into my luteal phase, I kind of want to actually circle around to what Madeline said about the PMS phase. Mm -hmm. So first of all, I really like to give the invitation of reframing PMS and to prioritize myself. That's when women, (laughs) their energy is starting to draw inward. So during the follicular and ovulatory phase, that's the most extroverted point of one cycle. We're not really tapped into our internal world we're usually more social and outgoing and want to engage more even if like things were going on earlier on in the cycle or weeks before it's like oh that's not really a big deal I could care less about that like I want to go hang out with people I want to socialize and as that ovulation ends so the whole cycle itself revolves around ovulation that's the whole reason we bleed it's really all about ovulation and all about the potential to procreate And if we're not creating life, we have the opportunity to create all sorts of different things, artistic projects, visions, all these sorts of things. So So you're talking about transmuting all of the life energy that's going through these stages of of the cycle and like essentially riding the wave of creation Mm -hmm. through your own embodied living, the way that you Mm -hmm. cast your own attention upon yourself. Yeah. That's yeah. a you guys have like a superpower it sounds like once you're able to tap into it. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. It really is so amazing and completely has transformed my life and my experience of being a woman. So with the the drop into luteal, one thing I really also like women to be aware of, I call it ovulation come down. Mm. When you're ovulating, all of your hormones are at their peak and especially estrogen. Estrogen is at its peak and that's like you feel sexy and you feel alive and you feel vibrant and you can feel you feel like you can take on the entire world and you have the energy to do it. But as soon as that egg has been released from its follicle, it's only alive for 12 to 24 hours. So once that egg dies, boom, estrogen plummets. Mm. Testosterone kicks in and estrogen has one drop and then it rises again but it can literally feel like a come down and I'm so Mm -hmm. glad I'm aware of this because I will be on this high and I'll be like I'm getting so much shit done I have all these projects Mm -hmm. and this and that and like feel great Mm -hmm. and I have things on my list that I'm like so motivated to get that ovulation come down happens the next day I'm like sitting in front of my computer and I'm like I don't want to do any of this Mm -hmm. like do I even have value like what's my purpose why is this going (laughs) Mm -hmm. on like and I'm like 
oh, yeah, I'm not going to try and do anything for two days because I know that that estrogen rise is going to come. I'm going to have the energy I need. It's not the same as the first estrogen rise with ovulation, but it's a secondary rise that I pause in that moment of ovulation come down. So for women who are listening to this, or even men, if you observe this in your women, Mm -hmm. if you notice that you're on this really high high and then the next day all of your motivation is gone, it's because of hormones and the way that they're influencing us. Mm -hmm. And it varies. Every cycle is different, just like every cycle of seasons on the earth is different Um, but with the drop into luteal we start to drop more into our internal realms the inner critic comes out so we literally have this mechanism within us that is letting us know what isn't working in our lives and if we're continually Mm. overriding it and not listening and not paying attention guess what pms comes out because we're really irritable and there's this part of us so it becomes externalized instead of looking Mm -hmm. at your own things Mm -hmm. to look at you're like you start to project that same criticism outside because you don't know how to engage with this and to separate yourself and take care of yourself and use this as a deep meditation practice and 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 a way to become even more self-aware. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we all know how uncomfortable it is when we have an internal critical voice going on, mm-hmm. pointing out all the things that we're doing wrong and what's not working in our lives and all these different things. So to circle back to the whole thing with men's cycles, in my partnership, we've spoken to many a times because I'm sharing this information with him all the time. When I'm going into luteal, it's like, his internal world is going under review too. Oftentimes that's when things are coming up in our relationship because mm. it's what we need to look at. It's to almost like you're in a relationship. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And mm. even this past cycle, it was so obvious because there was a lot coming up in the luteal and deep luteal phase just before starting mm. to bleed. And then I felt this big shift in release when I started bleeding, which is really typical. And I talked to him that day. His energy had completely shifted. And I was just like, mm. you're cycling with me. Mm-hmm. And he just laughed. He's like, I know. And so I don't know the difference between men's cycles and partnership and women's cycles and how that all comes into play. But mm-hmm. to me, it just speaks to the interconnectedness. I'm super interested relating. in it now. Like I'm mm-hmm. looking at. Madeline is like a canary in a coal mine, so to speak. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, what's 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 really going on? You know, like, tell me what's happening. Totally. You know, I feel like uh, like the the curious child, the pr- uh, precocious child, so to speak. It's like, you know, that yeah. that's one of the Jungian archetypes of uh, of of the human psyche, and it's you know the curious child and going, well, what's what's happening now? What's happening now? As opposed to feeling, frankly, I, I would feel nervous. Uh, when she would be about to start, you know, mm. her her cycle, or right. bleeding, as you would say, uh, I'm like, uh oh, shit! I'm like, whatever the heck I do could somehow go, you know, go sideways. And then it's like you almost create that same thing just by worrying about it, you know. And it's like, mm. okay, I'm gonna stay distant. And then it's like, well, what the hell? Why is he staying distant? Mm. And uh, and and we're kind of, you know, human beings used to live in communities and be social and like have these conversations without thousands of dollars worth of sound equipment. <laughs> and uh, and I think maybe what this is, is this is an ancient way of being that is now feeling safe to emerge or is needing to emerge so that people can increase their sensitivity, not only with their own bodies, but also the male with the feminine, the masculine with mm-hmm. the feminine. This is an opportunity, an, an invitation or... Yeah, an invitation into becoming more aligned with what is happening 
in this living cycle of life, mm-hmm. um, which is happening in the women around us that are between the ages of whatever, 12 and 65, somewhere that falls between there, yeah, with I some exceptions. Closer obviously. to 55. Mm-hmm. There you go. I, I think it's <laughs> also a, a deep allowance to return to our natural fluid states. Um, I see the world we live in now and we look around with so many straight lines and concrete structures and humans having to fit into these schedules almost like machines, these Mm -hmm. nine to five TikTok, you gotta show up, you're on the clock. And there's not really much flexibility with that. And yet human beings are these supple, fluid, natural, beings and we have these natural cycles like we've been talking about and I think this is an invitation and for me it was a a deep internal allowance to be with the cycle and allow myself to go up and down like the waves of the ocean and we know the waves also change with the moon and with the seasons of the earth and so to be more internal, to go inside, to retreat, to feel okay being introverted, and then to be okay one week later feeling super extroverted, wanting to go out, wanting to get those to-do lists done. Um, And I, I would also like to speak to those people that aren't really able to come out of the nine to five or whatever it is in that more mechanistic way, this is an invitation to uh, bring this knowledge into even that kind of workplace and maybe introduce just small self-care practices and uh, even just like little small steps. What are some things that you you both do during during these few days? First of all, how many days is it typically? I mean, it varies, I think, per person, per woman. And then uh, what do you do during these times? Yeah, it does vary for women. Um, I a lot of women actually find that they almost need more space and downtime in the one to three days prior to starting mm-hmm. bleeding, which I call deep luteal. It's when you're super deep in the luteal phase of menstruation. There's five chambers of menstruation that I would probably won't go into, but the first one is is separation. So what's happening during that time is a woman literally is separating from the outside world. It can happen in the middle of a dinner conversation where a woman is active and engaged, and then all of a sudden that energy of separation comes in and they could care less about anything outside of themselves. So a big thing for me is honoring, listening. Like we all could use more slowing down in our lives. A big thing that I say to women, especially during that deep luteal phase and the time of bleeding, because women's cycles can vary anywhere from four to seven days. Um, And the energetics all vary within that window as well. But a big thing that I tell women, if it doesn't absolutely have to be done, don't do it. Mm -hmm. A lot of women will feel guilty like, oh, but I'm not like preparing food for the kids and I'm not cleaning the house and I'm not doing all of these things that society tells me I need to do all the time. And we need to let ourselves fall apart. We need to be like, okay, you know what? Instead of doing the dishes or instead of taking care of the laundry right now, I'm going to go lay on the couch for an hour and do nothing. I'm going to take a heating pad and put it on my belly because that feels really good. Maybe someone's having cramps and so they need to do that. Slowing down as much as possible is one of the greatest self-care tools, I feel like and really listening and honoring and tuning into the body like if women are getting cramps or even if they're like madeline said they can't retreat from whatever it is that they have to be doing take two minutes 
put your hands down over your womb, take some deep breaths and acknowledge her. Say, I get it. I get you want me to slow down. I get you're in pain right now. I get you're trying to get my attention. Mm. I'm going to take some deep breaths and be with you. And I'm going to, when I get home, if all you have is 30 minutes, I'm going to take 30 minutes and lay on the couch and do nothing just to be with my body. It's a powerful thing. I mean, that's really admitting, like diving into the feminine nature of being a woman mm-hmm. as opposed mm-hmm. to continuously plowing forward and saying, you know, I am exactly like a man. Like, mm-hmm. look at me. I could push through this and earn my worth mm-hmm. through being as powerful as a man. I think the idea to measure one's worth on the extreme levels of masculinity is part of the problem, not only with women, but also with men, because it's a wounded masculine that Mm -hmm. ignores everything and plows forward relentlessly Mm -hmm. in whatever direction in total disregard for any level or degree of sensitivity, compassion, or holistic model of the world. Because if you're looking at things holistically and feeling in, you're going to be moving slow. One of my favorite uh, theoretical physicists is F. David Peet. He wrote many books with David Bohm, and he wrote a book called gentle action, which is where you're moving slowly and looking at what are my actions creating in the environment around me and really feeling through that process. I think this was an initial stage of like masculinity trying to figure out. I mean, I have some theories about masculinity trying to finally realize, oh, wait, I I do feel something like there's a process between my thinking, the way my body feels, and then the way my body feels and, and what I'm thinking. And it sounds to me like Cree and Madeline, what you're sharing is is that this is constantly happening with women. And as as you may focus on the, the more obvious phases, as I could see it, um, which is actually bleeding, that's probably the most obvious phase because mm-hmm. uh, it's represented actually in the physical, like external realm where everybody could objectively see that. Mm. Whereas otherwise it would take either instruments to see what was happening by a hormonal measurements or you could have the, the internal body produces cervical fluid during ovulation mm-hmm. that also is very obvious and physical. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. And then also mm-hmm. temperatures you mm-hmm. were saying too. Well, Ma- Madeline was measuring her temperature every morning. I think you had a, a busted uh, thermometer. It didn't work right or something. <laughs> <laughs> or it's just too cold in Utah. <laughs> yeah. There's a it's couple things I want to say about the topic of the masculine and feminine energy is the way that I see coming into rightful balance with the menstrual cycle of it being understood not just by women, by by men too. We all need to understand this because mm-hmm. it's it's teaching us uh, about life essentially. I'm really looking at it lately as the life cycle, but the way I see it is it's restoring rightful balance to the masculine and feminine energy because we all have masculine and feminine energy within us, Mm -hmm. and it's a matter how it expresses itself. And in a woman's cycle, the ovulation time, that's a very masculine energy. That's Mm -hmm. like asserting yourself out Mm -hmm. in the world and getting a bunch of things done and taking action. It's very young and externally focused. Mm -hmm. And so the balance of that is the yin perspective of menstruation that's inviting us inward and to slow down. And we all know that we need to slow down more. Mm -hmm. I think we really need to, in this culture, stop glorifying the masculine energy of you're not productive if you're not constantly doing something. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I don't even know if that's true masculinity. I think that's a wounded masculine trying to show, Mm -hmm. demonstrate that through force and through a lack of sensitivity that somehow they are stronger in the fact that they're different. Mm -hmm. It's almost like, 
I'm the some, the CEO that's the most relentless that could look at human beings or entire ecological systems as numbers on a screen and being capable of making the decision to fire 20,000 people or to decimate some side of a mountain that is sacred to a group of people as, as though that's somehow strength when in fact mm -hmm. it's really numbness mm -hmm. and a sign of our sickness, not, not, not a strong person. Mm -hmm. Another person could look at that and say, well, shit, I'm weaker than that person because I could never do that. Like I'm just too sensitive mm -hmm. as though it's, there's a pejorative term that being sensitive is a negative thing. Mm -hmm. When if you look at like microphones, I think he's turning down the microphone because I'm talking so loud, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and the more sensitive an instrument is, it, the more intelligent it is. Mm -hmm. uh, generally speaking, those that have the greatest range of voice, you know, are considered to be the ones that have the greatest voice or, uh, your ability to see in you know deep color like the world is more colorful and your ability to feel and be sensitive and attuned to what's happening in your body or as a man what's happening in the women's bodies around you the more we could tune into that the greater our intelligence that is the background our embodied intelligence and that's the difference mm -hmm. between rote learning oftentimes I hear people talking and it's like I hear that they're saying really smart words and like words I don't know but it doesn't connect with me. I don't feel what they're saying. I don't feel them. It's not embodied. Mm -hmm. It's all intellectual. It's all ideas. It's all up here. It's not yeah. embodied into the physicality. Mm. It's interesting. Just when you two sat down, it was the most embodied I felt mm. on any of the podcast recordings that I've done thus far. Mm. So I was just like, whoa, I just feel calm and I'm not feeling like, da -da 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 -da. like there was mm. a, always a faster pace. I want to go back and like listen to this one and listen to other ones and really feel mm. it. And I feel like I'm picking it up from you two mm. like it's the the feminine is like the somehow the grounded earth energy whereas the maybe the the more masculine energy may have that too uh but a lot of it might have been even more disowned by mm. the by the by men than it is by women i mean most men would consider it extremely negative to be sensitive and would feel uncomfortable even listening to this podcast sure. or even hearing that the woman that they're with is on her period or heaven forbid they see the period or some of the things yeah. that I know yeah. Madeline has, if you want to touch <laughs> yeah. on some of the taboo surrounding this maybe. Sure. Yeah. I was going to speak to that coming back to that idea of self care and ways that we can, uh, as women tune into our cycles and as men maybe be open to talking about it more and seeing it and having it in our, our lifestyles and realms. Um, uh, one way that I've been working with it in the last few years is using the menstrual cup, which is a, a plastic or silicone cup mm -hmm. that's inserted um, that uh, basically catches the menstrual blood. And then I'm able to keep that uh, just as a kind of FYI for how I do that is I keep a clean glass cup in my bathroom and I will put it in there and then I'll very cleanly take that glass cup outside and I'm able to put that menstrual blood into the earth or into a tree that's in our yard or even into a plant. And um, some people get so squeamish around the idea of seeing blood or having this kind of relationship to it. And yet if we think as women to put uh, a dyed bleach uh, process cotton into the with same pesticides and yeah. who knows what else. Totally. Made There's in a factory by mm -hmm. people that probably don't want to work there mm -hmm. that then goes into a Actually landfill destroying Mother Earth yeah, herself. Yeah, so many side effects toilet. that we don't even really know yet because these are pretty kind of 
new in our cultural timeline. Um, as we were speaking about at the very beginning, uh, women really used like fabric and rags before would just really bleed into the earth. Um, that's like the most traditional kind of tribal way that women would go into this red tent of sorts or somewhere that was private and for only women. And they would just spend days bleeding directly into the earth, which can also happen now if we're in tune enough, we can really feel like when the the blood is coming and kind of directly bleed into the earth as well. So um as well as just kind of being conscious about whatever we use during this time. Like I, I, I like to use uh, reusable pads that are washable. And so just um, not having as many products and, and all these things that our society kind of pushes on us because, again, coming back to that, it doesn't want to be seen. You know, we want to be really private about it and we want no one to know that we're on our cycle. I mean, one of my biggest things without talking about cups and reusable pads is just speaking out to my friends and family and whoever I'm around. Oh, I'm I'm bleeding right now. Like this is my my cycle time. And hopefully that gives them a perspective of where I'm at and also an invitation for them to move maybe a little bit slower or to be a little bit more sensitive, not just for me, but for themselves. And this is often seen as very taboo. I'm seeing the image very strongly of an artist that we became familiar with while we were in Hawaii two years ago, and we had her tapestry hanging in our house. Yeah, Robin and Chance. Robin Chance. And in this image, uh, we're going to put a link to this image somewhere in the podcast, is uh, a woman with the chakra systems aligned, which the soc- there's entire uh, psychological... Uh, from if you like the masculine look of things is uh, the entire maps is actually written by a woman but a lot men are often drawn to this type of thing uh, is there's entire maps of the chakra system and uh, all the so- chakras are lit up in this and there's a woman with her hair that's long and she is over the earth and she is putting her mens- her, her menstruation or her per- the menstrual period blood. blood menstrual blood that's what I'm looking for <laughs> it doesn't I don't talk about it too yeah. often so <laughs> I go to say it it's not and there's that taboo block where I'm like mm-hmm. how do I say it in a real mm-hmm. masculine way how do I just the say period blood, and blood you know that's weird so uh, <laughs> so it, and this is a great opportunity for men to practice saying these things too mm-hmm. it's part of being human and uh, and if you're in a relationship with a woman it's really awesome to be able to comfortably speak about it I believe mm-hmm. it's more masculine see that discomfort mm-hmm. you feel in saying it that's how you show your masculine is that <laughs> you are able to be with things that make you uncomfortable it, right. and it may take a while uh and so you she's taking in this in this beautiful uh, uh painting the menstruation and putting it back into to the earth and what i see in that is a prayer a prayer mm-hmm. that look i am connected to you all entire living being of gaia Mm-hmm. And I'm through this ritual of bringing my blood out to the earth. I'm acknowledging mm-hmm. that and, and I'm praying also to feel this connection with you. And oftentimes people try to intellectualize it. OK, I see what I see where that's going. I, now that I see that, I got it. Cool. You know, and they've lost we've lost ritual. We've lost ceremony. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think what is important is that prayer. It's that action that goes along with, you know what, this might feel a little silly. I don't fully believe it, but I really want to. And mm-hmm. that's ultimately what prayer is. It's like, I don't know how the hell this is going to work or how this is going to come together or what this means, but I really want it to mean something. I want the stars in the sky to really be ancestors looking back down on me. I mean, do we really mm-hmm. want to live in a world where the stars are just accidental explosions of gas lighting up the sky for no <laughs> apparent reason? I mean, our sun is a thousand times larger than the earth. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it creates all life 
you know, through its through its energy that comes onto the planet, you know, I mean, through a whole process, it doesn't single handedly do this. This is a relationship. But to say that the sun isn't intelligent, like mm-hmm. it's not responding, it's probably responding and knowing that we're talking about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, if I know that it's shining on me, I would hope to think that in some way, in some I don't want to anthropomorphize the sun and say that it's a human being, you know, with a little smiley face on it. I don't think it I don't think it's intelligent is limited to just human intelligence. There's a sun intelligence and the mm-hmm. earth. I believe I, I really want to believe and I pray to believe <laughs> that I feel connected with the planet and with yeah. the earth. And I think this is a great ritual uh, for women to experience potentially uh, during their menstrual time. If I was a woman, mm-hmm. I could confidently say I would stop flushing tampons down the toilet or putting them wherever they put them and uh try to start to engage in this Mm -hmm. in this practice it is really beautiful and very connective you can do it with tampons instead of flushing the tampon down the toilet you can take the tampon and soak it in a cup of water and then take that water and give it back to the earth i've brought house plants back to life because menstrual blood is so nutrient rich in its content and it and wasn't a that... venus flytrap either right it was a regular <laughs> <laughs> it was a regular old house plant that's actually over 30 years old um, wow yeah it was my mom's wow. um but anyways so i've brought plants back to life that were really struggling by giving my blood and I'll put intentions into it of like what am I releasing mm-hmm. and when I go and pour the blood back onto the earth I thank it for taking the energy and transmuting it mm-hmm. there's an old Native American proverb or I, I don't remember what tribe it comes from but they believe that when all women start giving their blood back to the earth there will mm-hmm. be no more need for bloodshed Wow, that is so That's powerful. Yeah. So yeah. as a woman, mm-hmm. if you're looking for uh, uh, a mythological, which myth is a real thing, I mean, not real in the literal sense, but the relationship between humans, myth, and the rest of the planet and other humans and other beings makes it literal. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? That's like the, 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 con- the connection. It goes from the story, the stories that we believe, then shift the way humans interact with Mm -hmm. one another, with themselves, and with the planet at large. Mm -hmm. I wanted you to repeat that because I found it so powerful and I've never heard that before. And Madeline and I were talking about the power of myth and how myth is is actually real. It's a living place. It's a living Mm -hmm. uh, way to be in the world. And it's it's part of being human. It's part of the way that the Earth exists because the Earth exists with humans, right? Mm -hmm. So humans are myth myth following or myth led and myth speaking Mm -hmm. beings and people say i don't believe in myth well they do their their mythology if they don't know that they're talking about myth and they believe that it's fact many cases that's actually literalized myth like it's a myth that there was a big bang that happened and that the world is moving towards entropy to become cold and nothing and then in the end the the candlelight of our life gets burnt out and we never exist again. That's a model. That's a story. It may be true. I don't think it is, but it's too depressing for me to really, I've, I have engaged with this idea for a long time, but there's many other myths as well. So I want to touch back on this really beautiful uh, parable or, or myth uh, from the, uh, uh, yeah, I wish I could remember said. what people it comes from, but I if you remember it, just comment on it. We, okay. We're saying mm-hmm. it. We're saying it with the most respect that we could muster, mm-hmm. and uh, 
and we want yeah. to appreciate this culture and for whatever reason it's it's escaping us yeah which mm-hmm. tribe said this yeah um partly because i don't necessarily remember fine details and names of things all the time yeah um, mm-hmm. but definitely yeah with a deep honor and uh so when all women start giving their blood back to the earth there will no longer be a need for bloodshed through war mm. that's beautiful and another thing that just came to mind, um, this Maya shaman, Donnelly Hioponti, uh, I got introduced to him through this work, Arvigo Therapy, that I do. And he talks about how in their culture, they would come together in the morning around the fire and they would listen to the dreams of the bleeding women. Mm. Because when women are bleeding, it's the most internal point of our cycle. So we're as connected to our internal realms and our subconscious self as we can be. And we're also connected to source and spirit. We're like these channels of information to flow through, as in we're portals physically for new life to enter in through us. We're portals for information to channel through and what we need. So some of my vision and what I feel is possible with women coming into right relationship with the menstrual cycle as a whole and really honoring menstruation mm-hmm. and and the whole quote earlier about like we're in urgent times, we need to slow down, is that as women more collectively start slowing down and tuning in, we not only receive messages for what to do in our lives and within our partnerships and our families, but we can get messages for the greater community. We can get messages for the greater collective. Mm -hmm. And I feel like maybe this is part of my naturally utopian mind. (laughs) (laughs) We need some of that right now. Some grounded utopian mind. That as women come together more and more, both physically and just in general, to enter into that place of like, okay, I'm honoring this space. I'm going into menstruation. I'm going to be with this energy. People outside of me are tending to the kids and the dishes. I'm not having to do anything. I'm in this sacred space. And I'm going to tap into the information that needs to come through. I feel like the more that we start doing that, the clearer the information can come through as to what we really actually need in these times to move forward. Mm -hmm. That's powerful. That Mm -hmm. was like... I'm like, wow, Cree, I didn't know you knew all this stuff. Where is this coming from? <laughs> it's you know. what I've learned from sitting with menstruation. It These makes sense. These are direct messages that are coming through that I'm tapping into. I'm not conjuring it up. Yeah. It's a direct experience that's coming through. Mm-hmm. I feel that. Mm-hmm. I feel that. And what's interesting is it's coming through because we set this container, because there's people that need to hear this. And I probably wasn't in a place to hear it, nor to be with it for this long. You know, because it, w- it took however long we've been recording to get to this point. And you couldn't you can't just drop that point. You know, a, a lot of times I'll be trying to explain something to somebody like, OK, so what is it then? So 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 what is it? And uh, and usually it's about debt and like how we got in this mess with money and all of these things in, in our culture, in the world culture now. And uh, and we lack the concision. These aren't simple like, OK, it's this. I, I, did, I wasn't going to tell you, but, you know, it's the commercial version. You just want the. 120 Twitter characters to say Mm -hmm. what this is, and it doesn't work that way. This is really an invitation into an entirely different way of being that ancient people lived in. This was their practice. And what's coming to mind for me on the topic of economics, which is what I talk about a lot, is uh, a woman named Lynn Twist who wrote a book called The uh, Soul of Money. I believe this is where it's from. It might not be, but uh, there was a a village in Africa, I believe it was in Africa, Mm -hmm. uh, and 
they had lost water. They just had no water left. Everything was drying up. Uh, and they were living in this extremely dry, desolate place. And if they couldn't find a way to get water, they were hiking very, very far to just move water back and forth to the village. And uh, so they had went there, uh, Lynn Twist and like a group of people, um, and said, you know, what are we going to do? How are we going to build some water pipes to get here or whatever? You know, and they had this whole idea of like they were going to like come in as the, you know, intelligent Westerners with their plans and, or you know, architecture and all that. And for whatever, and you know, and the, and the men were all talking. They realized they hadn't even talked to the women yet. And they go, what the heck? Okay, maybe we'll, and it might have been India or some part no, of the Middle East. Africa. It is Africa. Okay, yeah, great. I thanks. And, uh, and, 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 and so she goes, uh, so I think it was her or somebody that she was with that said, you know, well, what do the women have to say? So, you know, they noticed that the women wouldn't talk around the men and they brought the women separate and they're like, well, what do you guys think we should do? And she goes, oh, we should just, you know, dig 30 feet down. There's water underneath where we're, where we're, where we're living. And they're like, mm -hmm. well, why don't you tell them? Oh, we have. They don't listen. They don't believe anything <laughs> that we're saying. They just mm -hmm. think we're making it up. Mm -hmm. But we're uh, all the women at this point are absolutely certain that there's water underneath us. And so, like, Lynn comes back and goes, well, uh, we're just going to have the idea to dig down 30 feet. And so they, like, said, well, hey, you know, we're the you know people from the West, and we want to dig down 30 feet. And they're like, oh, great idea. Go for it. And so they dig down, they find the water, and they're like, wow, these people came and they found it. But in reality, it was the women that told them, mm -hmm. you know, but it, it, it was some of their mythology that maybe the women can't possibly have the answer. They have to have it. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I don't think this is an attack on men. It could have been men were able to survive some crazy, terrible thing at some point using, you know, ruthlessness and not listening to sensitivity. So they denounced their own sensitivity because they thought, hey, if I followed that, we wouldn't still be here. And maybe it's all an invitation to let us know that we do need each other and there needs to be an open dialogue between men and women and women and other women and cultures. And it's not that only the ancient cultures are, are correct and everything that modern science has is bullshit. And it's mm -hmm. not that modern science, everything is correct and anything ancient is all just super silly, super, you know, superstitions and we've proved all those wrong mm -hmm. because we're finding more and more that all of these ancient ways of being and just things that would be considered miracles by our current scientific paradigm are really happening. Like I'm sitting here talking to you guys. I mean, we're talking, first of all, on microphones and recorders, on computers that are made from sand, that are transmitted throughout space invisibly onto a thing that fits in your phone where you could see someone across the other part of the planet that's going through. Uh, and the way it's even going back and forth is because there's a machine in the sky that's sending the signal. So like, where the hell did all these ideas come from? It's not like somebody said, like, took a bunch of rocks together. These, th these, there's an intelligence unfolding itself to human beings. And I think that what we've talked about today is a way where women could really, really tap into this deep, deep intelligence uh, during something as, as that sounds as mundane as their period. Well, and also using it as a, or viewing it as an act of service in a way to our world and the direction that we want it to go. I used to think that I had this great call to save the earth that I saw and felt was burning around me. And I used to think that looked like constant action and constant movement because that's all I saw and knew. And realizing that this embracing of slowing down could be the inspiration that we need for the whole world to slow down and for women to really... Uh, just kind of tap into that as their service and they're kind of opening a channel for other women and men to move in this new way. Just a little bit more slower, intentional, more thoughtful and 
and uh, doesn't really have the same rush for consumption that we're living around right now. And I think this idea is something that most people can connect with in any sort of creative project that one is doing or starting a business or whatever it is when you're so hyper focused on I got to figure out what this next thing is and make it work and plug it in and all these different things when you finally step away from it and say you go on a walk or you're like mm. I'm just going to sit and do nothing for a minute and like have some tea I need a break bam insight comes in it's oftentimes when we step away from the thing and stop focusing on it that the deeper awareness can come through. Mm-hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Makes me think I need to slow down on my reading and <laughs> let it digest That's for a minute. avaricious reader. Yeah. <laughs> and one thing it's I want to speak to, I feel like we've kind of danced around <laughs> it, but I want to... probably even more accurate than, yeah. than I think voracious, which yeah, is what yeah. you're looking for. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I might be an avaricious. Yeah, like, that yeah. might, there's some truth I coming know. through you in that, <laughs> in that language. Greedy, like, greedy, I need it, I need I it, I have to have <laughs> More, more, yeah. more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but one thing I want to speak to, we've kind of danced around it a little bit, is I get that collectively women are experiencing a lot of pain. Women's bodies have been through Mm -hmm. all sorts of different traumas, whether it be sexual or emotional, or we're never pretty enough, thin enough, smart enough. There's all of this not enough, and Mm -hmm. there's been so much sexual trauma and so much trauma from first menstrual experiences and all of these different things. I definitely want to honor that and not disregard that. And also, I feel like part of what these times are asking for is us to come together and look at collectively how we can heal it. We need mm-hmm. to quit attacking men and be like, well, yeah, men, men, we don't men feel man enough this, either. Blah, blah, a lot blah, blah, of the crazy blah. shit we do is because we don't feel man enough. It's mm-hmm. where we're at collectively. Mm-hmm. If we go back down the generations, it's not men that are responsible. It's not women that are responsible. We need to quit this separation and this division and this attacking. Like if you're angry and your experience of healing and that comes out great, that's justified. But quit attacking, quit blaming, because it's not going to allow the space for true healing to actually happen. Mm -hmm. And in order for us to heal, like we really do have to come together. We have to find that common ground that we can stand upon. Even if you have like, quote unquote, conscious meat eaters versus vegan, it like creates this other divide. And it's like, no, you guys, like we want the same things here. We have a different approach. We need to stop pitting ourselves against each other. We need to quit fighting. We need to quit arguing and proving one's point and being like, well, I'm right and you're wrong because here's all of these reasons. And look at this article and scientific proof. And we need to stop that. Like mm-hmm. if we want to continue to evolve and to really like my vision is living in a way that all beings on this planet can thrive. Mm -hmm. everybody where it's not exempt where it doesn't matter the amount of money that you have the background that you come from the college degree any of that like that in my mind is archaic and it needs to go like we need to live in a way that all beings can thrive on this planet everyone because they're human and because they're alive has the right to have access to thriving you know Mm -hmm. what you're saying sounds completely true to me and uh and i often get accused of being maybe well, I either get accused of being very negative among some some groups and uh, way too, you know, focused on the negative, you know, in the more new age circles. Uh, or I get told that I'm Pollyanna and altruistic and idealistic and that, no, throughout history, the world's been red and tooth and claw. And, you know, you don't understand, like, we're the least violent we've ever been or whatever that is. And mm-hmm. no, we could never have, you know, 
like all of this equality and you know peace on earth and that's you know they tried that in the 60s that clearly didn't work let's <laughs> stop trying that again you know now it's just you know but at the same time those same people that say that well the two two camps the one camp that says i'm too negative like i read a quote today um it was a really beautiful quote and i want to read it right now uh and it's by a i believe he's a a buddhist if i could find it here it's uh hold the sadness and pain of samsara in your heart and at the same time the power and vision of the great eastern sun then the warrior can make a proper cup of tea and i think that that's a really powerful quote for what is the work that you're doing remember to take in all of the pain that's going on and that has gone on mm. while at the same time looking towards this more beautiful future mm. so i find it fascinating and incoherent really that the people that are most focused on the scientific rationalism is what i call it i mean i think it's the common term for this in the zeitgeist uh is that we could never have this really beautiful harmonic or or uh harmonizing society because people just are not designed that way right so we're but at the same time those same people are trying to inhabit mars you know which is like well wait a second so you're telling me we can't all get along here in some way because we're just that much different but like somehow we're going to like create a new we're going to colonize a new planet like that doesn't make sense to me it seems like we need to not throw the baby out with the bathwater and we revisit what the heck we've done and some of that's going to be a lot of grieving and like looking at what people not any one people but all the people have done and looking at if i was in that position i would have done the same thing you know mm -hmm. if i was in you know germany and i was you know had the choice between maybe being the person working the concentration camp as opposed to being killed in it i might have chosen the person to be working in it as opposed to the person being killed and that these situations aren't so simple uh but at the same time maybe they are very simple. The solutions maybe are so simple. The situations maybe are complicated. Yeah, I think um also what you're speaking to in what we've been talking to this whole time of this importance of slowing down. When we slow down and part of our resistance to it is the slowing down causes all of these uncomfortable emotions to come up and sometimes they feel a little bit like they're maybe not even ours you know like we feel this sadness this grief this fear this anger this rage you know for ourselves for all other women for animals for people throughout time i mean this is generational pain that's passed down within our wombs you know the the eggs in my womb were kind of in, in a biological way within my grandmother it's like it just kind of these miraculous facts because they were forming within the egg cells of my mother who was you know born from my grandmother's womb so um it's it's so much more complicated and detailed than that but just this this realization and maybe a, a conversation and topic for another podcast and a lot of work that Cree's done as well is around grieving and the importance of grieving and grief rituals and um, I think this really does tie into the same sort of uh, honoring our cycles is because there is an honoring of grief and some of these more uncomfortable emotions because with that we get to let go of some of the pain that we carry around that causes these very unconscious actions and then move into a new story and create something new with it but I think the the feeling has to be felt and for so long and, and at least in the last 100 200 years it was just 
there was so much pain happening around the world so quickly and people weren't able to feel it. I mean, millions and millions and millions of people dying in these world wars. And it just became too much, you know, for people to feel. And I know my grandmother that was like living and having children at that time. And my grandfather was over in the world war. I mean, she just stopped crying. She just completely shut down all of her emotions for the rest of her life. And now I feel like we're in a time now where we are kind of, we are at that place where we're being asked to feel for ourselves and for others. Hmm. And facing your own grief, facing your own pain, facing your own sorrow, whatever it is, especially if there's been trauma there and you have never felt safe in your life can feel really overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And so just taking little bites off at a time. I, I could found feel pure terror to mm-hmm. feel any type of grief. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it's mixed with like, I am going to be annihilated. That's mm-hmm. how I felt. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it can feel completely unsafe. But as you found in your own journey, ultimately, the only way to heal something is to move through it. Mm -hmm. We can't section it off and compartmentalize it and numb ourselves out. We can to a certain extent, but it's still always going to be there. The only way is through. And it's also really important to have community to hold us and support us in our healing and our grieving. One night at dance when... um, one of our friends in the community had committed suicide. I had a bunch of other things from this initiatory journey I had been on within myself. Mm. When Parangi came and played, mm. I felt all of this grief welling mm. up inside of me. And I felt mm. like I was in my own grief process. I literally cried and welled during that whole time he played. I was up in the front corner. My body was shaking. My spine was moving from side to side because this... Mm-hmm release from my cells was happening and I felt like I was not just grieving for me and relationship with Micah and the experiences and everything but for all of the people who there who couldn't Mm -hmm. and we need Uh each other because if we don't have someone there sometimes the grief that we're carrying someone else could have stopped you stop crying or try to cheer you up Mm -hmm. yeah oh Mm -hmm. yeah and and I was just like okay I feel like I have community here to hold Mm -hmm. me in this I'm going into it because yeah. I've learned I did a grief tending ritual with Sabone Fusome and that's where I learned how to properly grieve. I never had a, any awareness of what that meant. So I learned how to properly grieve. And so I know now that when grief comes up, I'm going into it mm-hmm. and it's intense and it's uncomfortable. No one has ever said like, "Ooh, I just love grieving. I hope it continues for weeks because this is so <laughs> enjoyable, mm-hmm. you know, but I know the power that comes from it because after that, Um, It was also in preparation for a ritual that I had created for myself to symbolize the end of this initiatory journey of like three and a half years that I had been on, um, which was really beautiful as well. But at the end of that grieving in that ritual, I was able to be filled with so much life, with so much joy, with so much bliss, with so much hope. And if we don't create space for those things by moving through our grief and our pain and our sorrow, then we can only experience so much of our joy. We can only experience so much of our laughter because we're limiting that or preventing it because we're not moving through the uncomfortable things as well. Mm. Tonight's going to be a heavy night, I think, or has the potential to be. I don't know what it's going to be exactly. We're gathering uh, together hundreds of us probably close to 200 people uh, to do a Dia de las Muertes uh, uh, ceremony. It's not my tradition. It's a Mexican tradition, and we have a Mexican family, the Melendez family. This is their second year. They do a ceremonial ritual from 6 to 7, and then afterwards 
uh, and anyone that wants to dance with them wears all white. And there's an altar for the dead where people are going to bring, are invited to bring pictures of dead loved ones. I'm sure a lot of pictures of Micah will be there, uh, as well as uh, belongings or food for their loved ones. And keeping the, uh, the, the relationship with our ancestors alive. I personally don't want to live in a world where people die and they just cease to exist for all mm -hmm. eternity. That's just too terrible of a way to be. Because guess what? Eventually that's where I end up. You know, and that's where we all end up. So how in the hell can we accept that? You can't without really dying to a major part of what it means to be human and connected to a God or to God or to life itself or mm -hmm. to being. You really, there's your, your mythology is anemic. It's so restricted to only the things that you could absolutely prove, look at on paper at that moment. And anything that doesn't fit there, you just explain away. And, uh, I just, I can't bear the thought of living with that mm. model the, of the world. In the Mexican tradition and many traditions around the world, this is a time when the veil is its thinnest. So mm -hmm. we have that communion and maybe ability to have a connection to the world beyond our world or the more effervescent spiritual world. And uh, just to relate back to the cycle again, that's the same, like the deep luteal into the bleeding phase. This is the kind of season that we're in right now, which is really where that deeper intuition and deeper knowing and connection to the subconscious happens. So whether or not you believe in a spirit realm and connecting to ancestors or not, there's still a deep connection into the subconscious now and into the dream world and into the space that doesn't really have a physical reality but is still communicating with us in a way so i mean the deeper you go into these sciences the more it sounds like mysticism mm -hmm. with different names it's like wait a second it's just mysticism moving again it's a new story of mysticism mm. so uh i i think that we could talk forever about this mm -hmm. I really want to spend some time to prepare for tonight's ceremony. And I think it's so important for people to have these ceremonies and these rituals. And women have this ritual built in unless they really block it. And they might have blocked it due to not knowing any different. So, uh, uh, yeah, I think... Maybe uh, we could have Cree um, add where out. we can find her. Yeah, where we could her find her. Yeah. And maybe, yeah. Um, and a few things I want to speak to. So, I'm just following this path as it's unfolding before me. Um, I'm doing my Embody Your Flow course right now, and then I'm going to kind of pause during Do you have any spaces winter. left in that? No, and we already started. It's already okay. ongoing. I, I'm going to launch it again in spring, and then also come 2020, I recently did a Rising Womanhood training where it's a course for young girls ages 7 to 13 to come with their moms, and it's a much more evolved and expansive maturation class. So it's mm -hmm. teaching them about bleeding and cervical fluid and their bodies and their anatomy and all of the foundational things that young women should know. And then it helps provide a platform as they go through these things to have uh, tools to talk with their moms about or moms with their daughters. Um, so there's that in the works. Also working on creating some uh, ritual-like experiences for women to go through their original blood story and get the proper rites of passage that they would have gotten. Um, so lots of work is evolving around this. Um, and another thing that is a vision that came through when I did my very first moon time retreat back in 2012, I just, once I was getting into these concepts more and more, I pretty much got ushered into this. And I was living in a tent at the time and I was about to go on a walk and I was like, I've been so stagnant. I've been here almost two days. Like maybe I should go on a walk. And something inside of me was like, no, stay here. And I was like, 
okay, fine, I'll just go back and journal randomly. And so I started journaling what I thought was going to be random and this full outline for creating basically a modern day tent space for women to go through while they're bleeding. And that vision has come through multiple times. And it just actually at last dance, I think it was on Wednesday that I went, came through really strongly again of like, now is the time to create the center. So I'm in a similar position as Zach when he started Exotic Dance of not having anything to create such a thing, especially mm-hmm. at the, the, how big the vision is that I'm seeing it. Um, but I am going to be opening up a center. I don't know when or the details. It's very much in the visionary state right now. Mm-hmm. But like a women's healing hub with uh, workshop space, with ongoing classes about women's health and diet and nutrition and movement and pelvic bowl health and all of these different things that different practitioners can rent out, like a little healing space. And then a red tent space where women can actually go while they're bleeding. Um, with childcare, and I need to figure out the details of it being nonprofit or membership based or something because it needs to be accessible to all women, no matter what economic class they come from. Mm-hmm. It has to be accessible to women from yeah, all sorts of backgrounds and ways of life. And this, mm-hmm. for me, is I'm like, oh, this is where the healing is going to come about. And women, no matter how much they maybe like the idea of stopping and slowing down, when they're at home and they have kids. It's so hard. It's like a battle to the get themselves to do nothing. The money is generally not. They come back full circle to the economic world, and the challenge is the money is generally not in the healing. It's in the living with sickness mm-hmm. or in mm-hmm. creating the sickness itself. Mm-hmm. And the idea of toying and playing with the healing, and then in, and I think a lot of that comes into embodying the victim story, identifying with the wound, not as the wound as a gift, but identifying as the ailment itself and then becoming attached to uh, the sickness itself. And some sicknesses are very, very complicated and maybe the uh, cures are very, very hard to find. The healing is very hard to find. And I, I feel deep sympathy for people in that situation and deep empathy for people in the addiction paradigm. Mm-hmm. But uh, I do think something like this is part of this new world, this new story that's that's coming into, that's birthing. Yeah, um, and I and feel like it's really revolutionary and I don't know of anything like it being done if someone's listening to it and they're like, oh, I'm doing something like that. Like, great, please find me and let me know. I'm in this visioning stage right now where I'm going to be gathering a group of women and having us all come together and talking about like, okay, what does this center need? How does it need to look? Getting the foundation blueprint of it super clear. And then just I've learned for myself when I'm completely convicted and committed to something that's aligned with purpose like mountains can be moved and magic can happen Mm -hmm. and especially right now I'm in my ovulatory state so I'm like ooh, and I'm super magnetic (laughs) so I'm (laughs) working with that energy and um, just putting it out there for for whoever is listening if you have any ideas if this calls to you if it resonates ultimately when it all comes to the actual physicality of it i'm gonna need investors and land and location and business oriented people who know about nonprofits and all of those things that i don't know hardly anything about except for running my own individual business um it's a community effort and it's not about me it's not about money it's about healing the collective and having a place where women can really come and be in that space and and have that element of sisterhood because it's super important and we're in dire times that we need something like this. And so I'm just planting those seeds for how do they find you? If they if their if their heart calls them, how do they 
How do they contact yeah, you? Yeah, so my website is just my name. It's creecox.com. It's spelled C-R-E-E-C-O-X.com. I am also loosely on Facebook. I have this very in and out relationship with social media, mm-hmm. but I'm on there as well. And then also email is cree.cox4 at gmail.com. Any of those outlets, you can reach out to me. And I would love to hear from anyone who's interested or if you have any questions or want to stay up to date on future courses or offerings or anything I'm doing. Most is right now in Salt Lake. I love the in-person stuff. Um, I will be doing more online stuff, but right now I'm just really working on the in-person front. And Madeline and I are looking at splitting our time between Salt Lake and the Big Island of Hawaii. So there might be some opportunities to work with Cree potentially on ho- in Hawaii because I know she likes the Hawaiian Islands. Mm-hmm. Right, Cree? Sure do. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Thank you all. Thank you for coming out. You two are beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. And please follow us to hear future episodes where we discuss topics such as alternative states of consciousness achieved through dance, intention, and shamanic practices, sacred economics, dream work, trauma healing, building community, permaculture, healthy and compassionate living and eating practices, somatic and alternative healing modalities, politics, psychology, mythology, and more. Our work is focused on the liberation of spirit, a return to the sacred, which is a constant collective inquiry. We aim both in person and on this podcast to plant and water the seeds of liberation from economic inequality, trauma, systemic conditioning, addiction, loss of soul, loss of meaning, hopelessness, helplessness, isolation, shame, nightmares, guilt, and a return to glimpses of your birthright, of dignity, joy, community, collaboration, equality, and constantly beautifying new world where you are not alone. And always, if you're ever in the Salt Lake City area, come join us for yoga, dance, or in the garden. A community of beautiful souls are here to welcome you. We gather in community Wednesday, 6 p.m. till 10 p.m. and Sunday, 11 to 3 p.m. And we have a vegan brunch or vegan dinner after every event. Our gatherings are all ages and are of no religious affiliation. We look forward to seeing you.